Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, we kicked off a series uh, called The Helper, and we've been looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've called it the helper because Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. And so I feel like that's a pretty safe thing to call the Holy Spirit. And um, when we looked at Jesus's time with his disciples right before um, his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection, I mean, it's just literally the day before um, he is, it's uh, Passover. He's celebrating the Passover meal. They're in the upper room. Uh, we get a lot of the things from, uh, that, that we recognize happen in there. It's where he washes the disciples' feet, and, and that is where, obviously, we get communion, and he models that in that moment. Little did they, they didn't really understand what it was about. They did later, uh, but it's, it's rich, and it is John uh, 14, 15, 16, and part of 17, and, and all of that all happens in the upper room, and we get a lot of dialogue of what Jesus is teaching and imparting into his disciples before um, he is about to be crucified. And he's given them this, this teaching, and he weaves through there, all the way through there, this teaching on the helper, on the Holy Spirit. And one of the big nuggets he drops on them, these are guys who left their careers, they left everything, they went with him, they saw the miracles, they saw all the stuff, they ate the bread that got multiplied and, and fed four and 5,000. Uh, you know, they saw the, the lame walk, the blind see, the dead raised. They, they saw the stuff, it was, it was amazing. They stayed when others left, when some of Jesus' teachings were hard. And here he's telling them, he said, um, that he's going to leave. And it's good that he departs. Uh, because if he departs, then the Father is going to send the helper. And that the Holy Spirit is going to come and that that's actually a better situation. And it's hard to wrap your mind around how having miracle working, uh, amazing teaching Jesus in the flesh right there with you that somehow that this Holy Spirit coming is going to be better than that. I mean, you and I, we would love to be able to go back and hang with Jesus and the disciples. You know, we're like, I won't kick up a fuss. I'll be quiet in the back. I just want to be there. I want to watch. I want to see it. And, and yet we have the same upgrade. We have the same connection. We have the same helper at work in our lives, but we have to be conscious of this function of the helper uh, for us. And so if you've got your bulletin, you've got your, your Bible app, however you're going to track along, um, then we're here in part three of our series, The Helper. And here we've launched with this idea that God has given us the Holy Spirit to be our helper. Um, and it's vital to our life in Christ. The Holy Spirit is vital. When we step into our relationship with God, he, he gives us a new life. He gives us life and, and life more abundantly. And it's a new and different kind of way to live. And how amazing is it that God doesn't just give us this list of stuff for us to, to do and to modify our lives, stop this, start that, um, okay, go, go do it. Um, he's like, no, I'm gonna give you the power to do it. I'm gonna have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of you. I'm not just gonna have you do all this stuff for me. I'm gonna do it in you. This is 
awesome. And for so long, so many people don't understand the full richness of our life in Christ. And they have tried to live this Christian life um, outside of the help of the Holy Spirit. And folks, we've spent a lot of time last week looking at that if those guys, if the apostles needed the Holy Spirit, the ones we just talked about who experienced all that they experienced, saw all they saw, and they needed the Holy Spirit, how much do we Do we need the Holy Spirit? We desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us to live this new life. Um, If you're new to us, um, I refer to my wife as Cutie. Uh, I've just called her that for a long, long time now. And so that's Cutie and I, um, my wife. Uh, We have seven kids. Um, Seven kids have her DNA, have my DNA. They are are our kids. And uh, so 26 down to seven years old. And yes, we're mildly crazy, um, but it's a fun crazy and we like it. And so, but we recently, uh, three of those seven uh, decided to get married in a 10 month time window. Um, that is crazy. Uh, three weddings in 10 months um, is insanity. Uh, but praise God, God helped us through it. And so, uh, la- and we did it in the middle of dealing with COVID. First wedding was August. Then we have a wedding in October. And then finally the third wedding this, this past May. And so and with these weddings, these kids stepping out and stepping into a new life together um, with, their, with their new spouse. Well, people, a lot of you guys, rallied to them in their new life and wanted to help as they stepped out in their new life and gave them gifts. You wanted to help and you gave them a gift. So some of you gave them a toaster and some of you gave them a microwave and some of you gave gift cards and some of you gave good old cash, which to help keep the, uh, uh, you know, the bank account uh, solid for at least a little bit. And so... uh, uh, all, all those who've been married for over two years know that that, that initial money runs out. And so uh, hold on to it, wherever my kids are. And so, um, but the, you wanted to help. And in helping, in a desire to help, you brought gifts. All weddings involve gifts because people want to help with the new life. And so they bring gifts. It makes sense that if we're gonna have a new life in Christ, that the Holy Spirit would have gifts to be able to help us to live this new life. And today we're looking at what the scriptures call the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so as we look into this, just like in week one, we saw that there were a group of believers in Ephesus. When Paul went in there in Acts chapter 18, he goes into Ephesus and runs into a group of believers and he asked them, "Uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So he explains that, lays hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit and move on with, with life in Christ. They didn't even know. They were ignorant of the existence of the Holy Spirit. They had placed their faith in Christ. They had done those things, but they had, and they were believers, but they did not understand the, that there was a Holy Spirit. Well, then once we understand that there is a Holy Spirit, we can then be ignorant of how the Holy Spirit functions, what the Holy Spirit does, how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. And here in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul, 
who didn't want those guys to be ignorant of the existence of the Holy Spirit, talks to the believers in Corinth, and he says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. They understood that there was a Holy Spirit. They were even at this point functioning in some of these gifts of the Spirit. They were doing it. Um, that was a mess. Um, it was a mess. That's part of what this letter is for. Um, and honestly, that can be some of the pushback uh, that some people who have seen some believers, um, maybe maturely or immaturely, express the gifts of the Spirit, um, especially if it was in an immature way, um, and go, man, you know what? I, I'm a little concerned uh, about this. Um, that's Corinthians. Um, that's why Paul writes is he's helping straighten some stuff out. He's not stifling it. He's not stopping it. He says, no, we need to, for this to what he calls decently and in order. It needs to, it needs to be life-giving. It doesn't need to be a church circus. Um, and Corinth uh, was a wild city. Um, it, this was not a city in Israel. Corinth was very much a Gentile city. And if we think things uh, on the underworld of Vegas are bad, uh, Corinth says, uh, you know, hey, uh, you know, hold my holy water. And, uh, and so they are, man, they, Corinth took it to a whole different level. Corinth was messed up city. And in that space, in that space, the gospel flourished. The Corinthian church was growing and I just want to take this moment right now because for us who have been doing church for a long time, um, I was raised in church and I did not realize, uh, nobody did, um, growing up as a, as a kid in the, you know, in the 70s and early 80s and, um, you know, and all of that, that I was growing up as part of the last generation of the U.S. before it tipped over to becoming a post-Christian nation. Um, Canada has been post-Christian for a number of decades. Europe has been post-Christian for a long time. Um, but US, everybody agrees, has tipped over. We don't know the date. Everybody argues about the date. Um, but without a doubt, we are now currently living in a post-Christian nation. Christ the, the ideas of the scriptures are not the overall guiding force of our culture. There's not any point of general agreement in that. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for those of us who grew up with that as, as the foundation. Even with people who maybe didn't live it, they still understood that there was an ideal in that that was good for our nation. And as a nation, we are, it has been put aside and said that's old and ancient and we don't want that. And it can be heartbreaking what I want to tell you, even as much as we feel like things are going sideways in our nation, um, Corinth was full bore there. They, it was a met, and the gospel flourished. The real church flourished. Here it is, is if we will simply rise up and be the church, this, our city, our community is hungry for it. They don't want religion, but they want a God that cares and loves. They want a brothers and sisters in Christ that care and love. They want a real power in their life. They don't want to have to, to show up to church and be judged if you, if, how you looked or if you came or not or any of that stuff. Pull all the junk off of it and let's just 
look at the, what it means to be alive in Christ. And if we will be the people, I'm telling you, it will, it, the tide will turn. But it's on us. It's on us. We can't pout and sit in the corner and say, I wish it used to be something decades ago. It's, no, that's the past. We have a wonderful, beautiful future as the church. And we have to step into it and move into it. We do. But we have to actually be who we're called to be as the church. We have to. And here, that's what's happening. And it is wild. And it is messy. But it is making a difference in that community. And Paul writes to be able to answer some issues. In fact, most uh, Bible scholars believe that 1 Corinthians is actually a letter in response to a letter. That some of the leaders in Corinth had written Paul and had some questions and Paul is writing in response to those questions. Why, this is why like six different times he says, now concerning, now concerning. It's, they had had some itemized deals, and he addresses it and then jumps to the next question, addresses that for a while, and then jumps to the next question. So, now concerning, or now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, this word gift here um, isn't like the idea of something you brought to um, a wedding or, or something like that, a Christmas gift. Um, this word gift is the Greek word charisma, um, which is the pairing, and it is the word charis, which means grace. Uh, that is what the word charis means. If you run into a, a somebody named charis, that's what their name means. It's grace. Um, and just the, the grace, the love, the power of God at work in our lives. And then in Greek, when, with the ma tied to, tied to it, it, it is, means grace gift. So these are grace gifts that are at work in our lives and they work through God's people we're about to see. And that is why we need to stay connected to one another. We need to stay connected in each other's lives because God's grace will come in through his gifts and some of the grace you need will function through somebody else, through a place of encouragement and the different things that we see at work here. So this charisma means grace gift. Now, again, I'm kind of hammering this because I don't know everybody's background. I don't know what ever, how everybody was taught or not taught or any of these different things, okay? Um, but uh, when we poll the world as far as religion worldwide, uh, you find a large, large, large group of people um, who uh, say that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus mattered, Jesus is, is the center of their worship, um, and of those people, then there are people who will then have another identity after that, would call it a denomination or one of those types of things. And, and in that big group uh, of people who say that Jesus matters, Jesus is the center of their worship, Jesus is, is their savior, uh, the number one subgroup is Catholic. And so the number one subgroup is Catholic. Um, right under that, the number two subgroup um, in all of the world, 500 million believers is the subgroup of people who believe that this uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, gifts of the Spirit, is still functioning for today, okay? Now, not all believers believe that 1 Corinthians 12, gifts of the Spirit, are still for today. But under Catholic, the second largest group of believers, 500 million worldwide believe the gifts of the Spirit are still functioning today. This is not a niche 
group. This is not something that is off and weird. This is right under Catholic. It is the second largest group of collective of believers who believe that what the first century people needed, we still need. Just because we've got technology, just because we have some modern medicine, just because we have some different things doesn't mean that to be able to actually love somebody, be patient with somebody, that you don't need the Holy Spirit. Guess what? I've not found an app to make me more patient. I download it right now. But God gave me the Holy Spirit, who we'll see next week, will grow the fruit of patience in my life. He will bring it about. It's not something I can fabricate and no, no invention can bring me. But anyway, so I just wanted to make sure we're, we're on the same page here because there are a lot of ministers that I love, respect. They're awesome. They preach Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. Fantastic. And they would say that the, this uh, gifts of the Spirit is not functional for today. Um, but as I study the Scriptures... I don't see how that case is made. And there's 500 million believers who agree with me. Um, and so as we look at this, we have to also understand. Um, and then also that group is the fastest growing group of Christians on the planet. There are others who are actually losing. They're going backwards. But people who believe that the gifts of the spirit are function to today is the fastest growing group of believers. We're, it's taking ground worldwide Praise God. It is, it is needed. It is awesome. Um, and so, do I have any uh, C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia fans in this place? All right, I got a few, got a few. Okay, some of you said, yeah, I was forced to watch the movie, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the War, Wardrobe. Um, my family loves Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, we love it. My kids would play it when they were little. Uh, we just love Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis was a believer, um, wrote a lot of good theological stuff. Uh, Mere Christianity is an amazing, uh, amazing book. And in his fiction, there, the Chronicles of Narnia, it's allegorical, okay? And in that, he is presenting some of these spiritual truths through these stories. And, and of course, Aslan, um, the, the, the lion, he is a Christ figure. And, you know, and then we see the Turkish delight as sin. And there's a lot of these different parallels um, that run through all of this. Well, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, when we, they come into Narnia, uh, the white witch, um, who's pretty much like an evil Elsa, um, she's got the whole world frozen. Um, it's just messed up. And it is this terrible time where it's always winter and never Christmas. How terrible to have the dreariness of winter and no Christmas. But that was what it was. And it had been like decades of always winter and never Christmas. And so things begin, the tide begins to turn in the story. And then uh, the, some jingle bells get heard and, and Father Christmas comes in on his sleigh and it has a, a, a Father God figure in the story. And he comes in and we have our heroes at the time. Edmund is still in bondage to the, to the white witch and gives some gifts to Peter, Susan, and Lucy, okay? And he gives them these gifts because for them to step into their destiny as kings and queens of Narnia, they needed some gifts 
because there were going to be some struggles along the way. The enemy wasn't going to just say, take your spot, king and queen. It was, there was going to be this struggle. And so Father Christmas gives these, and Peter gets a sword and a, sh- a shield, and, and we understand the part of that in the armor of God and that beautiful thing. We see it, the, the bow and arrow for Susan, and she's got this horn that can call for help and sound these things and bring in needed help. A little Lucy even gets her own little dagger and this little cordial that brings healing. And so in this place, as Father Christmas is encouraging them and telling them to step into their destinies, he gives them these gifts to help them along the way where they can fight the battle they need to fight to be able to call for help and get, and get the help that they need and the healing that they need as well. And he was weaving that in there as examples of the gifts of the Spirit in our lives to help us to fight the battles we fight to be able to, to get the help we need and healing that we need in our lives. So I just want to make sure before we get into all this, I spent the bulk of the sermon laying this found groundwork. So we, at least, even if you disagree with me, you know what you're disagreeing with. And so the, there's no confusion on that. And so, but the Holy Spirit uh, will give, uh, gives each of us different gifts to serve one another. That's the whole purpose. The whole purpose, he wants us to be able to love one another. And then he gives us these gifts for this love to be shown in such a beautiful, Holy Spirit breathed, God honoring kind of way that it, that is the, the heart of this. This isn't to, to show off. This isn't to, to distinguish between mature and immature believers. In fact, if you want to find the biggest group of immature believers, it was the Corinthians. And the gifts of the Spirit were at work in that church, but they were an immature group of people. Maturity in Christ is the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to talk about next week. The gifts help get us into that space. But your gift, it's for someone else. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it says, Now to each one the the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given... Uh, through the Spirit, the message of wisdom, to another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healings by that one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between uh, spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. He's the one who does it. So now as we're about to get into the nine gifts that we just blew through um, and kind of look at them a little closer, we're going to break them up into three different groups of gifts. So it's three groups of three. And for me, uh, this makes real good sense um, of it being into kind of three kind of categories of gifts uh, because my wife, Cutie, um, one of her love languages is gift giving. And so she's a phenomenal gift giver. Um, Sadly, I am not. So I've had to hone this and get better at it. But I know that I can dip into the three categories of gifts for her. There's the cloth gifts, 
which is clothing and purses and those kinds of things. I can do that. Then there is the metal and stone gifts with the jewelry and be able to dip into that category of gifts. And then the category of uh, furnishings and stuff for the house and furniture. I, I can dip into those. And those are the different things will fall into those categories. So here's, we're looking at the, the three categories that these uh, gifts um, of the Holy Spirit. The first category is the uh, discerning gifts. All of these are going to start with a D, just helps us to be able to remember, um, is the discerning gifts, which these are the, the knowing gifts. And these are incredibly helpful because there are things we will deal with that we can just use some more information on. We just need to be able to have some spiritual wisdom, some spiritual knowledge, and understand if we're in a spiritual battle um, or whether or not we're just dealing with just some normal stuff of life. But sometimes there's an actual spirit at work and we need to be able to discern that. But that's the discerning gifts. And uh, last week, you know, I talked about how Jesus in Luke chapter 24, he meets with his disciples um, and he opened the scriptures to their mind and, and they were able to see all of the connections and the prophecies and understood who Jesus was. And he just unlocked it in their head. And, and you know, and I said, you know, I'd love for that, you know, to kind of have the matrix download, you know, where you just sit there and go, blah, blah, I know Kung Fu and, oh, you know, I, I know this and I know that or, or whatnot. And, um, so and sometimes people may have the wrong idea that with these gifts of the Spirit, that especially with these discerning gifts, that it's just kind of that. It's just kind of this little thing. But uh, remember, we, we, the Bible builds on, on itself, and the Holy Spirit will speak um, in a still small voice. And he can because he, he's close. He's, he's with us. He's near. And he'll speak on the inside. And I liken learning the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit uh, to when I was growing up and learning uh, my dad's whistle. Now, some of you could pierce our eardrums right now and do the old, you know, the, the whistle. I can't do it. And so, but some of you can and just whistle super loud and, you know, call all the cows from three counties in. And, uh, and so, but that was not, that was not my dad's, that was not my dad's whistle. Um, my dad had a much fainter, distinct uh, whistle. And, but spending time with my dad and me and my sisters learned my dad's whistle. And we could be out riding our bikes even a couple of blocks away. I could be down a block and a half playing football with my friends and doing different stuff and hear my dad's whistle. And you know, I've shared with you all that I'm not athletic and so I was usually losing, uh, you know. And so, and I would, I would hear my dad's whistle and go, hey, man, my dad whistled. I need to leave. And they're like, nobody whistled. And you're like, you're making that up. You know, you're just, you're just losing. You're a sore loser. And I'm like, wow. I was losing, but my dad whistled. And so, and I, I need to go. And they would be, you know, they'd be telling me, no, did you hear anybody? Nobody whistled. Nobody, you can stay. And I was like, no, I'm telling you, my dad whistled. And then, but their doubt would begin to play on me. And, and as I went ahead and headed home, I'm like, did, I, did dad whistle or did he not whistle? Did I hear him or, or did I not hear him? And, and so I would sit there and finally I'd go and I was like, hey, dad, you know, did, did you whistle? He's like, yeah, we're about to head out. We're about to do this. We're about to do that. Supper's ready, whatever. And so I was like, no, that's, that is my dad's whistle. And I heard it, discerned it, knew it, 
because I spent time with my heavenly father and because it was relevant to me. The other guys didn't need to know my dad's whistle because whether they responded to it or not didn't affect their lives whatsoever. If I didn't come when my dad called me, there's going to be some problems. This was old school. Wasn't a kind and gentler way. This is, you got, you got some serious dealing. You don't come when dad says come. And so I learned to discern my father's whistle, and that is a, a lot like just, just spending time. That's why spending time with God, spending time in his presence, spending time in his word, we begin to discern as he is speaking. So here's the, the first one we get into of the, the, the discernment stuff. Um, is uh, the message of knowledge, also known as the word of knowledge. Um, and that's uh, to know something specific without having learned it by natural means. Now, I'm about to give you an example of this in use out of the scriptures. Um, and you're immediately going to write this off because it's Jesus who's doing it. You're like, of course, it's Jesus. Um, but remember, Jesus was very clear that he did everything only by the Spirit. Um, he said greater things will his disciples do than he did. Um, he's sending the Spirit so that we can have the upgrade. So when we look at this, don't write it off for us just because it was Jesus. And here we have in John chapter 4 the encounter of the woman at the well. Okay? So here is Jesus connecting with her, and, and there's a fairly good amount of dialogue. But, man, she just is bucking up to Jesus. She is arguing with him. She is uh, discounting the stuff he has to say. And it's just not really getting anywhere. And so at the middle of this conversation, um, he says, go and call your husband and come back. And I love how gentle is. He lets her, he gives her an opportunity to whether, what, if she is going to kind of open this thing up or not. She could say, step off, step off, buddy, you know, I'm done. You know, you're a creeper, I'm, don't talk to me anymore. Um, and so she, she could just, She's already been very bold with him. She could have just ended this here. But he's like, hey, go call your husband and then come back. And uh, she's, she gets vulnerable. And she says, um, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, um, she's kind of opened the door to it. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. Uh, the fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Um, you don't have a husband. And this was knowledge that existed, okay? Other people knew this about her. But she knew Jesus had no way of knowing these truths about her. Um, this is stuff, you know, you go around and you could cobble it together and, and get it together on your own. She knew Jesus had no way of knowing it. And as Jesus spoke this word of knowledge, it was knowledge that was able, but he couldn't know it by any other than means of the Spirit. It immediately changed the dynamic. And she now begins to engage with Jesus on a completely different level. She now begins, and all of a sudden we see by the end of it, she begins to recognize Jesus as Messiah. She goes out and tells other people, you've got to come meet this guy. And there's this little revival breaks out. And it was simply this place of this word of knowledge that Jesus functioned in that's right there. And so we need to understand that these things are given to us to be able for us to, to live the life God's called us to live. I want to quickly look at a moment. This is actually a prophetic thing that takes place in the life of Paul. Uh, but we're going to look in Acts chapter 21. 
Uh, Paul is going around doing his ministry, preaching, teaching, uh, you know, helping people understand who Jesus is and moving forward in his relationship with all of that. And um, he's here in Acts chapter 21. He's headed towards Jerusalem. That was what it's on his heart to do is to go to Jerusalem. There's a guy named Agabus who comes up and he says, in coming over to us, Agabus, uh, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said. Now, I don't know if he asked for, for Paul's belt. I don't know if he comes and is a little weird, kind of like takes Paul's belt off of him. It's a little strange. Um, and so hopefully he asked for it. I don't know, Scripture don't say, but he gets Paul's belt. And, he ta- and then he very dramatically ties his hands and feet with it. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a pretty dramatic move. Um, and so, but as he does that, he, is, he says, the Holy Spirit says, uh, this is the way the, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So he, it's on his heart to go to Jerusalem. And now he gets told, uh, you get there and you're going to get arrested. You're going to get bound up. And you're going to get handed over to the Gentiles, which would be the Romans. Um, which typically wasn't good. There had been some, some really bad stuff that had happened by the time we get this deep into Acts. It had not gone well overall. And so as we move forward, it says when we, um, Luke is part of the team that's there, when they heard it, it broke their heart. They begged Paul, let's not go to Jerusalem. Let's just not do this. Let's just bow out. Paul says, you know what? I'll go, I'll die in Jerusalem if I have to, but I know I need to go to Jerusalem. So it says, it says man, we relented, and we loaded up, and, and we headed out to Jerusalem. Well, later on in Acts 21, guess what happens? Paul's in Jerusalem, and they arrest him. The Jewish leaders arrest him. Is he surprised by getting arrested? Is he thrown off course by getting arrested? No. He had been, he had been divinely, by gift of the Spirit, told you're going to get arrested. And guess what? As we read the rest of the story, him being arrested ended up being this incredible blessing. Because not once, but twice, him being in Roman custody saved his life. These Jewish people, they didn't want him just arrested. They wanted to kill him. And at one point, over 40 of them made a covenant, made a pact that they were going to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Until they killed him. And so this Roman guard, because he's a Roman citizen, they end up protecting him and don't let him get killed. Then they try to sneak and say, hey, let's, let's get him over here to this, and we'll set an ambush on the way. That got, that got thwarted as well. Two times his life gets spared because he was arrested. Let's take out that little prophetic thing right there that said, hey, you're going to get arrested. Okay? Didn't say don't go. Didn't say turn around. If you go, it says, no, that's what's going to happen to you. We take that out. It would have been a lot more uh, difficult for Paul to understand that he was on the right course. He's like, I feel like I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. I feel like as soon as I get there, I get arrested. And now everything I wanted to do is messed up. Now everything's gone sideways. But instead, he's able to flow in peace with it. He's able to deal with it. He ended up having favor with a bunch of the Roman guards and a bunch of stuff. He ends up, because of this, speaking to two different governors, a king, 
uh, the king's sister. And then eventually he appeals to Caesar and, uh, and gets sent to Rome to stand before Caesar himself. He ends up being able to minister to a lot of different people that he would have never got an opportunity to, to speak to or present the gospel to. And there was this assurance that things were okay because of that gift of knowing that in advance if you're tracking with me. So, it's noon, all right. So, I told you I was putting too much in here. Um, so, we, just moving on. Um, then there's also the distingu- distinguishing between spirits, uh, which is the discerning of spirits. Um, and so, and that's being able to understand. Um, if you're just dealing with some of the normal crud of life, guess what? There's normal crud of life. But sometimes there's honestly, if we're going to believe that there's uh, our Heavenly Father and Him uh, spiritually at work, we have to identify that there's an enemy who hates us. That, well, that sometimes there will even be some demonic work and some demonic, I know that creeps us out. Um, there's not a demon under every bush. If you get a flat tire, it was a nail. It wasn't the devil with an ice pick, okay? You don't gotta you know, cast the spirit of flatness out of your tire. It is, it is not gonna air up, folks, it's not. Go to the tire shop, they'll fix it. And so, um, but there are times that there be a, a, a spiritual issue at work and we need to be able to know when that's at work because dealing with it on a spiritual level is the only answer when that is what's happening at that time. Acts chapter 16, verse 16, it says, once we were going into the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future and she earned a great deal of money for her owners by doing that. It was a spirit. And then they followed them around and said, these are the guys who are telling you the way to be saved. And they were. But they were, she was doing this and understanding that from a demonic thing. Well, all the rest of her activity was ungodly, but she was telling the truth about what these godly men were doing. And for anybody who was listening, that was going to end up being incredibly confusing. That this voice, so Paul got full, full of it. He got, says he got annoyed and he turned around and he spoke and he cast that spirit out of her and she quit. The people who owned that slave got mad and then like everybody else wanted to kill Paul. And so everybody wanted to kill Paul. And so, um, so that's that. Um, then there's the message of wisdom, which is a divine answer solution for a particular event. Uh, this is when you need some understanding you can't have on your own. It's not knowledge. The knowledge people knew if this lady, you know, close people knew the lady had the wife, had the husbands and the guy she lived with and all that. That was knowledge. There's wisdom sometimes needs to come in and give an answer, a solution that we can't have on our own. And, and we don't have time to get into that, but you could read that in your bulletin. Um, then there's the declarative gifts, which is prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Prophecy is the message of encouragement that come through a person or persons to uh, a person or persons. Um, 1 Corinthians 14.3, but everyone who prophesies uh, should speak um, uh, their, their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. The prophetic always, when it's all said and done, is strengthening and encouraging. It's not rebuking. It's not getting on to you. Um, and if somebody has a prophetic word, it doesn't mean that they can, like, read your mind, okay? It's not like all of a sudden they know all your stuff. They can only, it's only what the Holy Spirit prompts, okay? And the Holy Spirit is kind. Um, then tongues um, 
And so, or a message in tongues, verse 23, it says, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or, or some uh, unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? This was them doing tongues wrong. It's like, we gotta have some balance. We gotta do this right. And he's bringing some coaching into that. Then interpretation of tongues. Um, he goes on real clear in another space to say, look, if tongues happens and nobody understands what's being said, that don't help anybody. It ought to be interpreted. There ought to be able to be somebody. The same spirit should help you be able to understand what's being said, and then people can be encouraged. And then the last group are the dynamic gifts, which is the gift of faith, the gifts of healing, and the working of miracles. And then we ought to be able to understand that this should be relevant in our lives. John 14, 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. He's not like, hey, first generation church, you're gonna do this. He says, anybody who has faith in me, as we let the Holy Spirit begin to teach us and move us forward, we begin to see God work in some pretty amazing supernatural ways. Uh, the gift of faith, it's a supernatural impartation and belief and confidence for a specific situation. The gift of healings are supernatural endowments of divine health and the working of miracles are divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. And so the Holy Spirit, who is present with us, wants to give us gifts, wants to give us presence. His presence wants to give us presence and be able to bring a deeper level of grace into our lives, our bottom line is that the, the gifts from the helper are given to help. That's the whole point. And I realize I just blew through a whole lot of that, but the biggest thing is if we don't understand and embrace the idea that they are for us 2,000 years later, we'll, we'll park the whole thing. And so, yeah, some, some deeper understanding of the nine can be found and had and studied. But the main purpose of today is to understand and embrace that, yeah, a supernatural God who's at work in our lives would do some things in a supernatural way. And he would want to do it through his body, through his people. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.